Get Stark Podcast. I'm back with my buddy Caleb Vice, and we're here to talk about a lot of different things going on in the sports world. First of which, Game 3 of the NBA Finals last night in Cleveland. Caleb, what did you think of the end result? Um, obviously, uh, well, a little bit of background. Derek and I watched the game together uh, at his apartment complex. Uh, we made a little bet. Little friendly bet, five dollars. You know, nothing to nothing to report us about. But uh, <laughs> he thought that you know he thought Steph would make less than five threes. And you know, after watching Game Two and me being kind of a prisoner of the moment, I'm like, well, yeah, five threes for that guy. Okay, I'll take the over on that. Well, obviously, Steph probably had his wor- the worst game of his professional career, at least since he's been like Hands an MVP down. level player. Hands down. And so I was a little bit frustrated by the outcome because uh, I'm not a huge you know Kevin Durant's kind of like great player. Tough to like, circumstantially. Um, and he was the one that kind of took over in lieu of Steph being a no-show. It was a tough one to swallow because I was rooting for Cleveland to get back, to, to win last night and kind of get the series back on track and give us something to look forward to. But now for all intents and purposes, the season's over. So 100%. And it's kind of crazy to think that Steph Curry can have the worst game of his career and be, I don't know if he was 1 of 10 or 1 of 11 from downtown. Um, and that the Warriors would still beat the Cavaliers who played a pretty quality basketball game. It's uh, it's just a testament to kind of these superstar teams that are being created in the NBA and, uh, you know, talent, talent wins. Well, I mean, you got to look the year before the Warriors even added Durant, who's obviously, you know, a top, probably a top two player, him and LeBron, um, and have been for the last seven, eight years in the league. Uh, before they even added him, they won 73 regular season games and kind of, you know, lost game seven of the finals to Le- uh, LeBron possessed. Um, so, I mean, they were virtually unbeatable before they got this guy. And now, you know, once you, last year I think they lost one playoff game. This year they've been a little more mortal, but uh, Houston had a great team this year too. So they were the only team to really give them a legit run. And now you're seeing in the finals that it's probably – um, over in four or five games again. Yeah, you're right. It's kind of like capitalism in American society and that the rich get richer, right? We see these certain teams just continuing to influx talent while maybe the bottom teams are getting weaker and weaker, and um, that's what you're seeing this year. I mean, year. if you watch – I mean, if, you, if you're really watching the, t- the talent level between Golden State and Cleveland, it's, it's a, there's a huge gap. There. It's a big discrepancy. I mean, Cleveland has one of – you know, arguably the best player to ever play basketball, and it's – it's enough to keep them in games late, but not ever enough to. He's playing perfect basketball. Yeah, he's playing great. I mean, and last he night, can't win. Last night he struggled. I mean, like he was he was thirteen of twenty eight from the field, which isn't great. One of six from three, but I mean, he still had thirty three points, um, eleven assists. So he's getting others involved. Ten boards, triple double, two steals, two blocks. I mean, he's he was a um, and he played forty seven minutes. I mean, who does that? The guy's you know. In his in his mid thirties almost, and he's playing forty seven minutes in a game, and he has to, or else Cleveland gets absolutely blown out. So, I mean, you've seen the disparity between how good the Warriors are comparatively to, the, especially even just the Eastern Conference champion. I mean, we saw that them versus Houston was probably the best two teams in the NBA this year, but this is for the de facto title, and you're probably getting a lot more casual viewers, and you're kind of seeing that um, there's, a, there's a pretty big talent discrepancy. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, it just goes to show that that, that trade that the Cavs made last offseason when they unloaded Kyrie might have been the X factor in this. You know, if, if you add Kyrie to the Cavaliers, 
this series is at least 2-1, and it's potentially 2-1 in favor of Cleveland. I mean, Kyrie is that effective of a player, and I know he ended up getting hurt, but things go differently if he's still on Cleveland this year. Cleveland ends up acquiring Isaiah Thomas and Jay Crowder, both of whom don't really mesh well with well, LeBron. On, they're neither on yeah, the final. They, they both got they're traded. Gone. They got guys like they Rodney traded, Hood. Yeah, they traded up. Um, they traded Kyrie and ended up netting the ninth overall pick or whatever, eighth or ninth overall pick, which you're not going to get a player of the level of Kyrie in that, with that pick, and it's not going to help you out right now, which is what no. they need to, to keep LeBron around. You kind of got to go for titles. You got to go for titles, which leads us to the question, is, is this going to be the last game we see LeBron play in a Cavaliers uniform tomorrow night? I mean, speaking as a, a fan of LeBron's game and um, kind of – a uh, a person that's kind of defended his quote unquote legacy over time because he ha- he has been great, but people have just kind of uh, he's kind of gotten a you know he's he gets all the uh, gets all the attention and the blame whether that's mm-hmm. positive or negative. I hope for his sake he's out of there as soon as the season's over, and that he's got moving trucks ready already. I don't care where he goes, but like this Cleveland organization has never given LeBron the kind of. I don't want to say help because it's not like he needs help, but they just need some sort of like organizational structure that is stable, you know, just some like some support around the guy to where um, he is not playing with a brand new roster every year of of supporting guy. And I know a lot of it's like LeBron being kind of a control freak. He's a control freak and he's impatient. He has a lot of control over that stuff too, but he also has a reason to be impatient. He's getting older. He's seen the mismanagement that the Cavs have kind of um, undergone and that his – you know, whatever, 10, probably 10 years there now, or close to, in two two separate stints. And so he's probably, yeah, I mean, I, I bet he does get a little bit frustrated, and I don't blame him. He's, like, arguably the best player to ever play the game, and he's kind of been surrounded by a bunch of people that are uh, almost in over their heads managerially. Yeah, you're right. There's been such a lack of leadership in Cleveland while he's been there, and you look at the coaches that they've had, Mike Brown, David Blatt, Teron Liu, you know, it's not like they're bringing in a, a legendary coach no, to yeah. lead the show. And I don't know how much of that is like they know LeBron is the alpha, so they kind of have to hire a coach that maybe um, has a more uh, just stoic personality where mm-hmm. they're going to let LeBron kind of – but you're not going to get like a – you're not going to get a Steve Kerr into Cleveland. No or chance. A guy that's, you know, pretty set in their ways and um, headstrong and has these new ideas. You kind of have to defer to – number 23 and obviously you should you know talent in basketball especially a talent like that that never comes around in your franchise cleveland will have one player like that probably ever yeah and you could argue that they've kind of squandered it by only winning one title with that guy they really did i mean i mean it's, it's great that they got the title don't get me wrong because if they had not gotten a title with lebron that would just be um almost as much of a travesty as a cleveland browns franchise but um you know they did have an opportunity to have a guy who's kind of close to that same tier in Kyrie Irving, and they they unloaded him, and now the next summer they're probably going to lose LeBron. And it's really fascinating to think about where is LeBron going to go? Is, is he going to join the Rockets and help to build that uh, star-studded team? Is he going to go to San Antonio and play for a guy like Greg Popovich who has the leadership that we're talking about here? He can play with a guy like Kawhi who can take some pressure off of him. Or does he stay in the East and go to a team like Philly who's got Ben Simmons and JoJo and J.J. Redick and kind of has all the pieces that a championship team 
uh, requires. So it's going to be fascinating. I think those are probably oh, it is the top. And, and and you kind of get into the point where you're you're realizing that the NBA off season is more exciting than it's than its regular season. It really especially is, especially its postseason. Because I mean. I mean, yes, we've been locked into the first three games in the series, and they've been fun to watch. I mean, game one was an all-time game. Epic. And, I mean, we could talk about that forever, but that's, you know, three games in the past, so mm-hmm. now we kind of have to move on. But last And last night was a great game. You know, you saw an all-time por- performance from Durant. Um, in game two, you saw Steph just go out of this world hot, and you don't see that very often. So, it's, I mean, it's been a fun series. It hasn't been a close, really a close series, I guess. Um yeah, that's, know, that's a good You kind of always feel like anytime Cleveland, you know, is ahead or is, feels like they're in control, you know that Golden State's an avalanche ready to kind of start rolling down the hill. Exactly, yeah. And, and we even called it last night. I remember making a comment that, you know, Steph hasn't made a shot tonight outside of one left-handed layup in the first half, but he's going to hit a big three. And he did with about a minute and a half, two yeah, minutes left. Right after and, he, hit a, yeah, he had five straight points, I think put him up four. Yeah, put him up four, and that was it. And it was like... He scored 11 points last night, but five of those were right when they needed it. Right when they needed and it. And when kind of everybody least expected it, because you're like, why would this guy keep shooting the way he's looked all night? I mean, he looked like, you know. A JV a, player yeah, playing with it, the varsity. Yeah, just kind of. And, and, and Steph's a streaky guy. I mean, he's always been a great shooter, but he's also very streaky, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe you think last night's just one of those nights where it's just not going to go for him. You kind of had to defer elsewhere. And he did for a lot of the night because Durant was on fire. Exactly. But it was kind of like winning time. Steph hit, you know, back-to-back shots. I think a little uh, little layup off the glass and then a three right back-to-back possessions, and it was, that was it. Yeah, it's and I will say, you know, we're three games into the NBA Finals, and so far we have gotten a miraculous performance from all three superstars. You talk about game one with LeBron putting up 50, um, pairing that with a bunch of assists and rebounds, and really just one of the – Best performances I've ever seen in the finals. Then Curry with his shooting performance in game two. That was one of the most fun um, performances oh, that I've seen in the finals. Absolutely. Right there. And then last night Durant was just like – and Durant makes it look so easy. It's like it's like he's not even trying out well, there. I mean, he's a seven-footer that's playing on the perimeter and he's shooting it as easy as anybody ever had. It's Nobody can def- I mean, you, you can't defend it. have never seen a player like Durant. But to have a finals where you get all-time games from LeBron, Curry – and Durant in the first three games. I mean, even if um, the series itself and the games itself haven't been all that compelling, then as a fan of the game, you're still kind of excited because you're seeing, like, all-time performance or performers putting in, like, all-time performances. Exactly. And I know this is, like, what, the fourth year in a row we've had this finals. It Um, is. And a lot of people are – maybe there's some fatigue there, but I think we'll look back on it and be like, that was pretty cool to see, you know – LeBron James play against this arguably the greatest team ever assembled and have some really competitive games throughout. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and we, we really should appreciate it because this is something that will probably never happen again in the NBA. You have two teams face off four straight years in the finals. Tomorrow night very well could be the last game that those two teams square off in in a finals scenario. You know, LeBron heads out. Uh, West hypothetically goes to Houston and for the next five years Houston's in the finals playing against the 76ers or Celtics like I think this is kind of the end of an era uh, you could say and I'm not going to say it's the end of the dynasty for the Warriors because this team's going to be stacked for the foreseeable future but uh, you know whether there's fatigue there or not with this matchup I think we should definitely appreciate what we've got I guess here. that brings up kind of a, a, an interesting question as far as the Warriors are concerned. When do they get bored? 
but you got four guys that are. I mean, if you talk about you, you know, obviously KD and and Steph Curry, and then you got Clay and Draymond Green, though, and they're that's their core four, right? And then you got you throw in Iguodala, who came back last night. But those four are still pretty, relatively young. You know, I think all, all um, under thirty. Um, were, does do any of them like get tired of you know just filling roles on a team, or do they kind of want their own? They're on stage. It may be a smaller. I mean, do they? Do we see some change with the Warriors in the offseason? I don't. I don't think that um, the cast of characters they have now really uh, lends itself to being bored of winning. But at the same time, like, there's a lot of ego involved in, in professional sports. And ha- I mean, they've played in what four or five straight finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great, great point. I think uh, just human nature is the grass is always greener on the other side, right? We're at the University of Kansas. Well, you know, I'm always wondering, wow, I wish I was in Florida at a school or out in California, somewhere by a beach. Um, and then those schools are probably wishing that our students at those schools are wishing they were at Kansas in a place where they've got one of the best basketball programs in the nation. And the same thing with relationships and yeah. studies. You know, there's there's always the what ifs and uh, you start at least dreaming up these different scenarios. I think one possibility I see uh, first of all, Iguodala is going to retire at some point, and he might as well go out on top. But he's also, I think, got a lot left in the tank because he plays like a 28-year-old, although he's probably And I think 35. the role that he's in now, I mean, where he it's can play 20 to 28 minutes a game it's for that team in that lineup. Yeah. he's. I mean, he's his plus-minus last night, he was plus 14. Yeah, he was. Which was second highest on the X team factor. behind Durant, who had – he was plus 15 at, at yeah. 43 points. I mean, Durant had a career game, and, and Iguodala arguably made just as big of an impact on both ends. Yeah, he really – that's the thing. The is his, his impact doesn't always show and up he, in the stat line. And he was injured for games one and two and went off before halftime last night looking injured again. I and, thought he was done. Yeah. We, well, we both did. We thought, oh, that's a big that, – that kind of sets it back to – Sets it back to even. Maybe Cleveland will steal this one, but no. He he fought through it and uh, ended up having he was great impact, especially defensively. And that's the stuff that we don't watch that closely. Exactly. I mean, you're going to get enamored by, you know, a, a Curry game two or a Durant game three or a LeBron game one. But there's these guys, the, the Draymond Greens and the and the uh, Andre Iguodala's that lock it down every possession on the defensive end, and that adds up. And that's why they are going to win three championships in four years. Yeah, that's a great point. And I'm sure that there's somebody who played fantastic defense on Steph last night, and and I really couldn't tell you who that was or who disrupted him. But, uh, you, you know, things like that occur, and you kind of become Hood. oblivious. Rodney Hood, man. <laughs> Rodney Hood stepped up big time last night, and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. We do need to laugh about Rodney Hood a little bit, just because, I mean, that was people were, uh, you know, kind of branding that as like, oh, Tyron Lue's going to go to Rodney Hood off the bench tonight. And it's like... Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure Golden State was terrified of the Rodney Hood Rodney factor. Hood factor. Yes, he was, he's been so great that you haven't been able to play him in games one and two, where you've been giving uh, you know guys like Kyle Korver and Jeff Green and uh, George Hill plenty of minutes, and it's like now you're gonna you're gonna throw your ace in the hole, and that's gonna be Rodney Hood. I don't think that scared Golden State too much. Not at all. And he did come out and he got buckets. He played really well, and you and I were getting pretty stoked about it. I think more ironically yeah, than anything definitely, else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you look at and if you look at plus minus, if we're gonna continue the worst on that. Minus. Yeah, yeah, Rodney Hood was a minus 12, and uh, he played 26 minutes last night, which was um, about as much as uh, George Hill played. Yeah, he so did eat into George Hill's minutes, they did and kinda, I understand why. They did kind of <laughs> let Rodney Hood go last night, and I think uh, I think they got enamored by the little uh, left-handed uh, 
you know, jump hook that he was throwing in. And they did. Yeah, he was getting the rolls. The 15, soul. 15 points, you know, good for him. But um, I think you sacrifice a little bit when you play Rodney Hood for 26 minutes. That's for he's sure. He's going to get some points, but he's going to give up equally as many. Yeah. So you mentioned that something with the Warriors could change. Somebody could get discontent or want uh, to kind of – maybe grow into a bigger role with another team. I think the guy that that maybe happens for is Clay Thompson. I think he would be the one guy that I could see uh, bailing on the Warriors dynasty to go to a place um, like Milwaukee or maybe Portland has a spot open up if they get rid of Lillard or McCollum um, and somewhere where he can go and he can just be the guy and get all his shots oh, and go I'm for 30 points a game. I'm 1,000% in on Clay Thompson to Portland. But, I that mean, would be a lot of fun. Five, him and Dame Dalla. Him and Dame Dalla. It's an upgrade over CJ, sorry. Yeah, we'll take CJ in Milwaukee. Please, we'll send you Jabari. I don't know. Clay seems kind of content with where he's at, but um, at the same time, we never know how these, how each person's egos reflected in their game. You know, a lot of times... Guys can feel uh, a little slighted by their role and think that their talent, um, you know, exceeds their current role. And I think, you know, obviously, I think if you put Clay on any team in the league, he's going to thrive. He's a great player, both ends. So any team would be lucky to have him. I don't think the Warriors will give him up um, easily. No, me either. And I don't know the contract situation, but I do remember either this summer or next summer. I think he's got like a an opt out opportunity. So we'll have to keep our eyes on that. Uh, Elsewhere in the NBA, we did find out that um, Brian Colangelo, the GM president of the 76ers, was um, more or less fired, uh, relieved of his duties with the 76ers, and now there's speculation that maybe potentially they'll bring back Sam Hinkie, who is the mastermind who kind of created this star-studded very youthful the squad. He created the process, yeah. So so what do you think? Do you think there's any chance that Hinky gets fired and then rehired by Philly? I do think that if I mean, obviously I think now they're seeing what Hinky the, the the kind of blueprints that Hinky laid down while he was the general manager were maybe really good ideas. At the same time, I think maybe ownership has probably too much pride to rehire a guy that they fired and then um kind of had to fi- uh, they had to fire their replacement because of a Twitter scandal yeah. and I think you kind of had to worry about risk be- uh, risking being like the mockery of the league um, to, to some extent I don't even know like maybe Sam Hinkie has enough pride that he's like I'm not gonna take this job again you know right. you, you rarely see people go back to work for a boss that's fired them um, or, or that they've had like public you know a public out where almost like LeBron James and Dan Gilbert. That's you know that's a, that's it's one a example where, where a player or a uh, employee has gone back for an owner that has kind of wronged them publicly. And so I don't I don't know that maybe Hinky has to, maybe Hinky's content with what he's doing. I don't know that he even wants to get back in basketball. But I I do think that if the Sixers kind of went that route and it would be one it would be owning a, a huge mistake on their part, and then two it would be Hinky kind of um, accepting people that back into his life that fired him from his previous job and probably the most prolific job he'll ever have. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the Facebook story, how there was this guy at school with Zuckerberg and he had the idea for Facebook and then Zuckerberg joined him and kind of like stole the idea or built the idea up and kind of cut the dude off. And had Zuckerberg just let that other guy back in and like 
get a piece of that pie rather than just keeping him shunned out. Was that the Justin Timberlake guy? <laughs> yeah. The Napster yes, guy? Yeah, yes. He already had Napster, man. You can, you he can was fine. He's a genius. Yeah. He was going to find a way to become a billionaire, but, you know. But, yeah, I mean, if you play Word Association now, people don't know what Napster is as much as they do Facebook. They, yeah. For better or for worse. That doesn't mean <laughs> one's better than the other. Well, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, maybe bringing Hinky back is a power play to – bringing LeBron in. I know he's a household name. Maybe they work with LeBron and try to figure something out that he's feeling, or maybe LeBron stays in Cleveland. Honestly, I have no idea. I'm stoked to I did see, see what um, David Griffin's name is throw, thrown around in the Philly GM search, and David Griffin was obviously the Cavs GM um, before their current one, and I'm not sure why he was fired, but I do know he has a good relationship with LeBron. Yeah, he does. And so, I mean, but at this point, if you're the Sixers, you have to – you had to find the GM that's going to, like, give you the best shot at getting LeBron James, right? Because if you add LeBron to that core, you're instantly, like, probably the, the champions of the East. and For the next five years. Yeah, at least. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're legitimate contender, at least for, you know, three, four years. You know, LeBron, we don't know how much time he has left in, like, his prime, but I can't ever envision LeBron playing basketball where he's not just, like, contributing at a high level in some way. Whether, you know, if he loses his athleticism or something, he's, he's still one of the smartest players we've ever seen. He's still going yep. to be a contributor. And so you've got to get that guy on your team at any cost. And if that's, like, hiring the GM that he's like, if you hire this guy, I'm there, you got to do it. You have to risk – you kind of have to mortgage your franchise on the, the chance of getting a LeBron James. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because there's there's just such few other players who are even close to his caliber, and the majority of them are locked up for long term. You, you know, you think about like Giannis; he's got that potential. Durant, Kawhi's an interesting one, but it's not it's not every year that you have an opportunity to sign a guy who will just flip your franchise in a 180 and the 76ers don't even need to be flipped that much I mean they were tough this year they won a playoff series um they looked really good at times against the Celtics who played the Cavs incredibly tough I mean they're they're top tier so we'll see how it all goes down well I mean the last whatever eight teams that or the last eight or eight seasons mm-hmm. that LeBron has played, like four in Miami and four in Cleveland, he's made the finals. With every single one. Every single season. It doesn't really matter. I mean, obviously he's had he's had a good – he's had Kyrie and Kevin Love in Cleveland. He had Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh. You know, he had, he's had good – but at the same time, if you take LeBron off either of those teams, they're not making the finals with the players that they have surrounding them. So No chance. Just, that, just adding a guy to – a guy like LeBron to a roster that's loaded like that. Is, is worth mortgaging your franchise's future on, I believe. Absolutely. I think you add LeBron to any team that made the playoffs this year, and, and that team is going to make the finals. And I'm talking in the East. In the West, it's a little bit different, a little more murky. But in the East, you add him to any of those playoff teams, and they're going to make the finals because LeBron just has that much of an impact on a game and a series. Yeah, and that's one. It, it's absolutely true. And if you, it's not a referendum on any other player in the league. There's some great players in this league, but if you, even if the in the finals, if you put Kevin Durant on Cleveland and LeBron on Golden State, you think that's not a sweep? No, it's it's probably uglier. Yeah, if you put LeBron on that, I mean, it's just his impact cannot be understated. I think I one thing that I always harp on is that we we kind of take LeBron's acumen playing basketball for granted. Mm. And it's not like I'm a huge, huge LeBron stan by any means. I just You kind of have to recognize greatness when you see it and just recognize what it can do for um, 
teammates around him, the teams he plays for, and that kind of thing. And I mean, he, obviously, there's baggage. You know, LeBron's a dramatic dude, and he's kind of you never know where he's going to be year to year. He sh- signs short contracts and everything, but it's worth it. It's always worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we already kind of discussed a, a small bet that we made last night during Game Three. If you were to put money on where LeBron James is playing next October, November, where do you think it's going to be? Um, Philly. But as we saw last night, that that means nothing. My my betting, my money means nothing. Um, I obviously thought, you know, Steph over five threes was a lock. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great situation. I think Philly might even be the betting favorites in some um, circles for, to get LeBron. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know the fit there, how that would be. They'd have to get some more shooters, I think, because Simmons, obviously, I don't. he didn't make a single three-pointer this that year. That's the craziest stat I've heard is, all year. Yes, Dwight Howard made more threes this year than, ben, than Simmons. ben Simmons did, and Dwight Howard made one. And Ben Simmons is a de facto point guard. Um, he doesn't even take them, really. He takes, like, end-of-quarter threes if he has to, but he never makes them. Um, LeBron, it's not that LeBron's a bad shooter, but he's definitely not, like, a guy that you have to just – constantly fear out there so if they move they re-sign reddick and uh, and uh, obviously they have covington and guys like that but uh they're going to be really i think that's going to be kind of a weird fit with like lebron simmons and mb kind of the, your focal points of your offense you're not going to have as much uh spacing as maybe you'd like yeah you're right I but think you also have defensive nightmare yeah i mean yeah. people are going to score 75 80 85 <laughs> points a game against this team yeah, yeah. Just i mean if they're focused wild. and locked in like you're not yeah you're gonna have a really tough time scoring on that team and it, and we're still not even talking about markel fultz markel fultz you're right number one pick and we you know obviously dario sarich i think of, he was a rookie yeah, kind of lost his i mean fultz obviously uh kind of i would say lost his rookie season too a myriad of injuries and yeah. maybe some um, maybe some just things going on in his head with his shot. But um, it would right. be interesting to see how he – I mean, he obviously has a world of talent. You take him number one in that in that draft, there's something you see in him. So I think you know, maybe maybe if he comes back to, uh, to the level that they, they kind of draft him as, then maybe that's your missing piece. But it would be an interesting fit. But I would do want to see LeBron play for the Sixers next So year. do I. I mean, and as a Bucks fan, I want him to get out of the East because I think the Bucks have a great shot if he's gone. But if he's on the 76ers, we don't stand a chance because I think the 76ers are already better than we are. So it'll be fascinating. I think, I think Cleveland is the dark horse. A lot of people are just assuming he's out. Uh, he is a Cleveland guy. Those are where his roots are. And... But at the same time, you know, he, he wants to win. He wants championships. He wants to I – don't, I don't even think he wants to get six. I think he wants seven, and he's got some work to do to get there. So we shall see. Um, moving on to uh, kind of a different conversational topic, Andrew Luck's father, Oliver, is making waves in the news this week as he, uh, he pivots from his position as a top dog – in Indianapolis working for the NCAA, and he is now going to be the CEO of the XFL. Caleb, the XF, I thought the XFL ended like 10 years ago. I yeah, know. Oh, I remember, uh, I vividly remember being on the playground as like maybe a nine, 10 year old kid and uh, playing regularly with an XFL football because they, 
they sold the hell out of those things. You're like, right. Those little Spalding balls with like the they were black and they had the you know they looked awesome. X's. Yeah, they were great and everybody had one because they were pretty affordable. But we're, you're also like, what's what's the XFL? And you kind of check it out and you're like, oh, it's wrestling on a football. Field. <laughs> Um, so it is kind of weird when you, that's, that's my perception of it. And now you're thinking of like this straight lace, like Andrew Luck's father being the, the kind of the Roger Goodell of the, the XFL. And I, I just kind of wonder how much are they paying him to do this? I'm very curious. I just wonder, could, could we just flip him and Roger Goodell and just like Roger take the XFL and have Oliver take over the NFL? I think that might be a, a fair trade oh, for, yeah. I mean, for sports fans. I think Roger, Roger Goodell would, would probably gladly take that trade to get, <laughs> to get himself out of the spotlight. He's kind of been like, you know, the, the, uh, the, he's been the, a punching the, bag. He's been a punching bag for, <laughs> and, and rightfully so. Absolutely. He's awful. But at the same time, um, what is a CEO and commissioner of the XFL even in charge of? I mean, don't they, aren't they kind of pride themselves on there are really no rules in our league? I'm it's pretty sure. Like football for non-sissies. Yeah, their their coin flip is like putting a ball in the middle and letting two guys just like attack each other. That's what I recall yeah, from the yeah. XFL. And I, how, do you know, I mean, I'm just, this is me thinking out loud. Do you know how different the XFL rules for the this reincarnation are going to be than they were in the original? I have no idea, but I do know that in his opening statement, Oliver Luck said that he is going to do his best to make it a very family-friendly environment. So it seems like they might have to uh, change just about everything um, involving their games and league from from their first birth. So here's my question: Will XFL players be required to stand for the national anthem? <laughs> Will they even have? Maybe they won't have a national anthem. They'll just maybe completely they'll just, bail. They'll on just it. play some like Ozzy Osbourne tracks to like get hyped to. And Worth then, it. And get then, a little Prince going. <laughs> yes. I just think maybe yeah, some just really dark, deep metal that just kind of fits with the XFL's yeah. mo more so than than the anthem. But whatever. It does. Well, it'll, it'll be and fascinating. Football and the anthem are forever tied together now, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. So. They really are, yeah. Well, I just thought that I would bring that up. I thought it was just kind of shocking to see so, Luck's okay, name Okay, my question the to you then is, does Andrew Luck become the centerpiece of the XFL? Say he gets injured and misses another year of the oh. NFL and he can't play as high a level as he was before he was injured. Does he become like the XFL's champion? That'd be fascinating. I mean, if, if they could pay him big-time bucks, I, I could maybe see it with his dad as the commissioner. But this is kind of my projection uh, or prediction is that Johnny Manziel is starting to show a little bit of promise in the Canadian Football League, where I believe he is playing right now. Johnny Football signs up for the XFL whenever their uh, reincarnation occurs, and Johnny is the MVP the first season. He then gets an opportunity in the NFL, and within the next five years, we see Johnny Manziel playing quarterback on a playoff football team oh, in the, the NFL. NFL. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of parlay it. I also, I think that maybe Manziel's kind of resigned himself to like, maybe he's a CFL XFL lifer. And there's a, there's a very big void for him to fill there. He could, he could definitely fill both of those voids and become like just the bad boy face of both leagues. Um, one after the other, um, and I'm here for it. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I will watch those I'll, games. I'll, yeah. I'll watch that for sure. I mean, we, we were talking about, uh, maybe how like, some players are bigger than the leagues themselves, you know? Mm. Like, t- when Tiger was in his prime in the, on the PGA Tour, he probably could have, like, 
branched off and made like the Tiger Tour, and people probably would have watched that more so than the PGA because what draws eyeballs to the PGA more than Tiger? And so maybe That's maybe Mansell's that for like the CFL because I know there's the summer months we call them the dog days. You know, if you're not into baseball, what is there to watch? Seriously. And so maybe you're watching some Hamilton Tiger Cats football this summer. Man, and it's, it can even as a baseball fan, it can be kind of hard to watch the games now because it's almost like a four hour investment of time. Yeah, yeah, four hours and. A dozen pitching changes and a lot of strikeouts and occasional uh, occasional offense. Occasionally, you get a 450-foot home and run from Giancarlo yes. Stanton. Yes. Yeah. So Buster Olney is uh, proposing a new rule for Major League Baseball that teams could only use four pitchers per nine innings. So if your starter gets hurt in the first inning and then your mid-reliever gets you to the fourth and the other mid-reliever gets you to the seventh, uh, your closer has got to come in and, and pitch two innings. And do you, do you think this is at all realistic? Is is there a need for Major League Baseball, or is it just a nat- nature of the game kind of deal, and people have to accept that baseball is a long game? I do think that the um, that baseball being a slow game is overstated by the majority of the people that complain about these kind of things. Because we we do we invest you know we can invest four to five hours into watching a single sporting event. If it's football, mm-hmm. oftentimes, you know, a, a football game takes longer than a regular season baseball game. There's just so many baseball games that it's hard to really care about each one the way that, you know, when I was younger, it was like I'd watch a baseball game every day and it was like a big deal. But now it's like, give me to October or give me to the All-Star break. I'll watch the All-Star things, kind of see where everybody's at and then give me to October and I'll just kind of follow it in the meantime. Where When I was younger, I lived and died by mm-hmm. the standings each day and, you know, the home run race and the batting average and all those things. But as you get older, you kind of be like, man, I just can't invest that kind of um, energy and thought into this sport because it's too, it, the season's too long and the games are too long. Yeah. But I think limiting... Point a nine-inning game to – because what you're trying to do is get 27 outs, right? No matter how you do it, that's the goal. And so limiting four pitchers and saying you only have you can only do it with this, I mean, yes, I guess that's an, another element of strategy, but it also feels very limiting to to the managers and to the, to the rosters themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think from a baseball purist standpoint that there's really no room for exceptions or manipulating the game in that way. You know, I could I could see a rule that limits pitching changes in the middle of the inning. Maybe you only get to do that once a game is pull a pitcher in the middle of an inning, you know. So you got to really be strategic when you use a guy. Um, I saw somewhere they propose MLB games go to seven innings, and that is it's just asinine. There's there's no chance from well, it's not a financial standpoint. It's too long. It's really not. It's not at all. The games used to be two hours. Yeah. 50, 100 years ago, two I hours. Think, um, maybe, I think, honestly, one of the easiest changes baseball could make, and I don't mean to try to fix baseball on your podcast by any means, but, like, maybe when a, when a relief pitcher comes in, they're ready to go. They don't have to throw 10 warm-up pitches, and we don't have to start basically, you know, refresh an inning every time. Like, they come in, and it's just like any other sub in any other sport. They have to go right away. Yes. There's no, there's no, you know, lapse of – it take, takes a minute and a half every time you change a pitcher at least, you know, to get the guy to run in, throw their seven warm-up pitches or whatever, and get everybody reset and playing. Um, just bring them in. To, I mean, they're already warmed up in the bullpen. Bring them in. They're ready to go, and they've got to be ready to go. And if you prepare yourself that way, that's going to that's gonna take a lot of time away from the game. That's a good call. I would love that. I think, you know, you give them, like, three pitches. We can let them get used to the mound, throw two, three pitches up there, rather than, like you said, they're seven to ten. 
and well, yeah, that saves time. It shouldn't be a complete game reset every time a new pitcher enters no. the game. Because that's what the bullpen is for, is to get your pitcher warm. And when they come in the game, they should... I mean, think about basketball. How many guys come off the... They're sitting down, and they come off the bench and come into the game. They, they don't have in. time to go, like, go back into the gym and get warm, get and then run into the gym and run into the floor. Like, no, you have to come off the bench from sitting, and you feel your way through it. Exactly. You, know, you come in. Some uh, of them sit there for an hour straight. Yeah. The warm-ups, yeah. They, they've completely cooled off. They are dry from their warm-ups, and they go rip off the, the pants and their jacket, and they run in, and, and there it is. You warm up as you go, like you said. So that, I mean, that is fascinating. Elite, these are elite-level athletes, right? They should be able to, you know, especially given time to warm up and if you go to the bullpen warm-up, you come into the game and you're ready to go. Yeah. And I think that's one way that uh, baseball could, could um, cut a lot of their excess time from is like the in-between innings and the pitching changes and those kind of things. They could really speed up the game Definitely. in that regard. Definitely. The replays seem to really kind of eat into the time as well. And I don't know, you know, you want the right call to be made, but at some point you got to just accept that, like, these are games that are officiated by human beings. Yeah. There's going to be mistakes. Uh, let's just accept and, that. And a lot of times it's like they fight over, they're fighting over, you know, semantics and they're being kind of like, you know, slaves to the to the rule or to the replay or, or right. one way or the other. It's like just use common sense. People will understand exactly. that. And sometimes, you know, those decisions are harder to make than others, but at, a lot of times it's just like, okay, we know what the call should be made. Just make it, mm-hmm. you know. You play 162 games throughout a season. Um, if you wrestle over every single replay, that's not going to go well with the fan base and especially like your, your television viewership and those kind of things. It's going to get really fed up. No doubt about it. Well, before we wrap up here, the latest news that has come out from the sports world is Julian Edelman getting hit with a four-game PED suspension. So pretty surprising news that the Patriots are cheating. And I'm just wondering. Stop me if you've heard that before. Yeah, (laughs) new news. (laughs) What do you think? Do you think uh, the team that has now traded Brandon Cooks in the offseason I believe he's heading to the Rams. Julian Edelman's now suspended. I mean, we all we all know that Tom Brady doesn't need elite level athletes to complete passes and touchdowns too. But is there any chance that Des Bryant ends up in New England? Oh, Des Bryant's like the perfect candidate for uh, for a New England revival, right? You remember the, like the late Randy Moss? Randy era, Moss, where, man. I mean, not to say that he'd ever have that kind of level of season when Randy Moss was with the Patriots, but I mean, that's that's the void they need, right? They need kind of a guy that's. Uh, a proven receiver, um, big target. You know, Brady thrived. He's had what do you see? He's had one like Hall of Fame level receiver in his career, and it was that year with Moss. And do you have Moss's the the stats up from uh, Moss's Patriots year to read out? I mean, they're just insane. You don't. It's hard. It's like a Madden Madden year. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't even seem real. Uh, 2007, his first year with the Patriots, yeah, he was, had 90, 98 receptions for almost 1500 yards and. 23 yeah. touchdowns. And this is all regular. That's in that's in 16 games. That's in 16 games. The next year he played 16 games, 69 receptions, 1,000 yards, 11 touchdowns. 2009, 83 receptions, almost 1,300 yards, 13 touchdowns. That so He's hit 47 year, touchdowns in three years. Yeah, so any year that he's playing more than 10 games, he's catching you know, 10 or more touchdowns, which is nuts. And the Des Bryant fits into – I mean, Belichick doesn't care about giving waivers on guys that are troubled. I mean, he played, he he he's coached Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> they picked up Michael Floyd. Yeah. Michael Floyd was kind the of DUI. From that DUI from Arizona, and they picked him up, and he was on a 
I think he, he was on the Super Bowl team that beat the uh, Falcons. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Belichick really cares about any of these, you know, quote, indiscretions or maybe temper problems. Like, if you have talent, he's going to kind of bring you in and maybe try to humble you, but also utilize your talent because he wants to win. He's like Nick Saban. Yeah. I mean, that's they're, they're cutthroat, but they're also, they, they recognize talent when they see it and kind of know how to deal with it and just fight the battles that they need to. Yeah, you can't blame them, man. I'm sure winning is uh, quite addicting when you're doing it at the level that they are. What do you think Edelman tested uh, positive for? Uh, I really, it wouldn't surprise me if it was some sort of amphetamine. Yeah, I was thinking like Adderall. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Julian Edelman, like he's about our size. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that we're big dudes. But we're not dudes, large. But, we but, are uh, not maybe large. He's maybe a little more. Uh, I think it was Adderall. He was probably out partying with Gronk and he got a little well, sleepy and he needed yeah, to stay Do you up. remember those Kentucky Derby photos? Yes. Really, I mean, yeah, it's not that he has not dabbled in drugs. Like, well, that's pretty evident. But, um... <laughs> Wasn't that Molly? Yeah, I think so, and uh, a lot of uh, $100 bills. But Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, I can't say it's a surprise. Um, he'll probably come back week five and catch, like, 11 balls for 100 yards and the touchdown, and you'll stash him on your fantasy team. That's a great, a great genius. sleeper. <laughs> Draft him in the 12th yep. round. Nobody yep. will be thinking about him. Nope, and, and you'll probably win your league because he'll get hot. Crush it for yeah. the playoffs. Because he always stays healthy, and he's got Tom Brady. You're welcome. It's June 7th. Remember this. (laughs) Right on, man. Well, hey, we covered a lot of different stuff today. Is there any closing remarks, words of wisdom you got for the listeners? Um, No, I I hope that you all are looking forward to the World Cup, which starts a week from today. Go Iceland. It's a great way to – if you're not into soccer, that's fine. But I think it's a great way to – and and the time – the timing of it – being in Russia, I think uh, for viewership is going to be pretty good for for summer months. Oh it's yeah, it's going to be great. Morning to or you know mid morning to early afternoon. So try to get yourself into that. It's kind of fun. You know, I know the United States isn't in, but there's a lot of talent, and you'll just see a lot of different uh, uh, kind of cultural influences on the game, and just you know how serious these countries and these players they really really want to win for their country, and it's really cool to see. And I think that. Uh, that's that's a way that you could really you know kill a month of your summer by kind of getting invested in that. Just just watch it and just try to enjoy it. Maybe not even if you're not a soccer fan, you're a soccer critic. Just just give it a chance. I think it'll be. I think it's a good time for uh, for the sport. Absolutely, um, and and tune into a Brazil game. They've got a guy named Neymar who would probably be considered the LeBron James of soccer. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I mean he's he's he's. He's, I would say maybe he's more of like the he's more of like the Giannis of soccer. The Giannis. He's, like, he's 23, 24, but he's kind of like the future of the sport. Okay. I would say. Oh, I love it, man. Yeah. Even better. Yeah, he's yeah, he's great. Brazil, he's Brazilian. Brazil, Brazil loves him. So yeah, soccer and Brazil they go hand in hand. Right on. Well, hey, thank you all for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this. We'll be back with another episode in the near future. Until then, stay groovy. This is Derek and Caleb. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.